We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. No mic today. And yesterday we got word from Shams that Anthony Davis will be reevaluated in four weeks after a midfoot injury. And I want to point out that's different than being expected to return in four weeks. Four weeks from that announcement is March 17th. The season ends on April 10th. And I would suspect that a return anytime too long before like April 1st would be pretty unlikely. And so I think that between the Lakers record position and standings and then the health of both AD and LeBron puts the team and those players in an interesting position that I think I think it's necessary, D, to have a big picture conversation on how hard to put your foot down on the gas pedal between now and the end of the season with respect to the balance with their health. This season's been compared a lot to the 2013 season. And in some ways, that's true, right? And that it hasn't been a, a good year. But in other ways, I would argue that this has been a much worse season than the 2013 season. The last 40 games of that year, the Lakers were won 70% of their games. Kobe was unbelievable. And part of that, there was, I don't know, a two-week stretch or so before he got injured and tore his Achilles toward the end of the year, where he was playing 47 minutes a game. He was playing on a bad ankle, and he was doing everything he possibly could to get the Lakers to the playoffs. And this is before the benefit of the play-in, where you could be a ninth seed and still be comfortably like in a situation where you can still get in. The Lakers were fighting for their lives in a way that is somewhat comparable to today, but didn't have that safety net. And so that that's what's on my mind, D. Before we go forward about the plan of attack and, and going forward, like what are your thoughts on just kind of the of the wisdom and prudence of you know how hard those guys in particular should push themselves? Because AD, you know, that, that may be the difference between AD coming back when he's 85% versus a hundred percent. It may be the difference between LeBron playing 40 minutes a night on that knee or not. There's a lot of good arguments for, Hey, you know, this team isn't worth that type of risk to their health. So I think that there's a game to game calculus that the team needs to take. This is professional sports. They're in the winning basketball games business. 
I think your question about how hard to push is a prudent one. I also think, though, that that's the case on any given basketball night to a certain extent when your best player is in his 19th season and has played over 60,000 minutes regular season and playoffs combined, right? That there's always a forecasting of what's going to be needed on any given night. And to a certain extent, I think a part of our frustrations this this season is that the Lakers have too followed LeBron's lead in regards of like, how far do I put my foot on the gas on a night where the team is playing the Oklahoma City Thunder and they should win comfortably and then they lose because they've taken their foot off the gas because they are trying to coast because the managing of the projection of a hundred game season is much different than what it is to manage a 25 game season, which is what you're talking about now, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, the idea of like how hard to push or what's required of you on any give given night, I think the Lakers need to understand that there's a baseline of effort they're going to need to provide on any given night just to be competitive. And then within the context of that, how far do they go beyond that? 2013 season where Kobe shredded his Achilles, that was so far beyond what would have been considered like a baseline level that it was maniacal yeah, to a certain extent, right? Yep. And... And that was Kobe in his essence, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't expect anyone to push that hard because pushing that hard is sort of crazy. I loved that stretch. That's one of my favorite stretches of Kobe's career in terms of the – you remember that Toronto game where he just kept hitting ridiculous three after – like he single-handedly won this game that we had no business winning and it was really crucial to getting us into the playoffs. And that so that stretch just in totality was unbelievable. And I would give anything to go back in time and beg him not to do it, you know? Yeah. No. It was either earlier in that same game or the game before. And – he had taken a hard a hard foul, but it was the way that he fell. And he was sort of really slow to get up, and he was grabbing at that hurt foot. And it was sort of just like, man, what is he even yeah. going to have left yeah. for the playoffs? So I don't want to talk too much about that, but I trust LeBron to sort of be like, okay, how much do I have in me? This game. And we sort of saw that, I think, as a blueprint in the game that the Lakers just won over the Jazz. Now, there was some extra juice in the building when Aaron Donald is sitting front row and he's flexing and he and the crowd is in it like that gives you a bit of juice. Right. And so I thought LeBron was sort of like, all right, well, I don't really have it in this third quarter. And then, like we talked about the last pod. This is within striking distance. Let's see if we could actually go win this game. And then he turned it up and then they won. And for me, this is much more about LeBron than anyone else. It's not about Russ. Mm. It's not about like, it's really, this is a LeBron question. And I default back to this idea of there's no one I trust more to understand what's needed on any given night than than LeBron. Whether or not that's going to be enough, I think, is a whole different question. And that's probably what we're going to have to get to in, like, 
the construction of this team without Anthony Davis and and LeBron basically saying, all right, well, I've got to conserve in this way, in that way, in this way, in that way, in order to give myself that closing kick that I need in order to close out games. Is that enough to win basketball games? And that's a different discussion than I think what we've opened this pod with, right? Just the whole idea of conservation in the first place. LeBron's seasons all have a similar shape, at least in terms of the ones that I've seen where, where he's been healthy, where he'll start in first and second gear. And by this point of the season, this is act two of a three act play where he's in third or fourth gear and he turns that up to fifth and sixth as the regular season and then into the playoffs go on. And that comes with certain physical demands that concern me, right? Like he played 40 minutes against the Utah Jazz. And I very much agree that Aaron Donald brought a certain amount of juice that may not be translatable to future games. That said, the last two games have been bittersweet, aside from just the AD injury, in that if we just played like that for the whole year, like we wouldn't win every game, but we'd have a way better record than we do now. Yeah, they'd be over 500 Uh, even with the injuries. Yes, and because... We figured out that, hey, we can't play our bigs too much, right? We have to play small. We have to switch. That's part of the reason why Utah, of all the teams, we've won like nine games against teams over 500 this year. And two of them are against Utah. Shout out to Pickup Hoop, who tweeted that the other day. There's a reason for that. <laughs> like our natural shape has always been this smaller team that switches. And it's taken us most of the season to figure that out. But I think ultimately when it comes to the question of how hard – does or should LeBron push, or even in the reevaluation of AD. To some extent, this is a question that's about AD too, and that yeah. part of that reevaluation in four weeks is where's the team at? Yeah. You know? And so figuring out what we are in the first place, like we have a much better answer to that. That I think that those components, if they're playing well enough, if we're playing well as a team, what I've seen from LeBron over the years, especially, is that LeBron will be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll carry you home. What I don't expect is those BS nights where everybody's BSing on the court and LeBron to be like, oh, I'm going to go into superhuman mode just so we can get this win where he has to single handedly carry them. So that's kind of how I see it in terms of like the most prudent way of finding that middle path between you know, our job is to win games and we are in that that business, but also not to do what Kobe did in 2013 and, and risk future injury. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's further explore that path. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's happening daily. 
We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com So this is where I think, Pete, that Russell Westbrook is super important. Because Russ is sort of that Kobe maniac sort of guy. I described him as hard-headed on the last pod after AD went down because there was a certain amount of spirit that he maintained while everyone else's spirits were clearly deflated. Right. He was almost oblivious to the idea that he had a teammate that had just gotten injured pretty severely. And he was just like, no, 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 no. We're going to like keep going, keep going, keep going. And that wasn't always pretty. He drove into traffic and like threw a drop behind pass to Dwight Howard, who had not even really gotten into his role yet. And it's sort of just like, okay, well, that's not it. Right. But that idea of to keep attacking, that was on the forefront of Russ's mind. And you could just see it based off of how he was playing. This is where, so this is where I think Russ takes on a greater value. And that idea of what is his natural inclination as a player could be super useful to the Lakers. As long as the team starts to take on some of his identity as well. We've talked a lot about the team following LeBron and as they should, he's their best player. But when your construction is around multiple star players, then you hope that the DNA of those stars can also implant on some of the other players as well. And we've seen that. Like when Anthony Davis really starts to pick it up defensively, you see other guys on the team start to lock in, right? Mm -hmm. Even LeBron. Mm -hmm. And when Russ is like, nah, man. I'm freaking attacking the basket. You see other guys start to lock in on that a little bit more too. And so we have reached a point in the season where it looks like Russ understands and there is an understanding amongst him and everyone else, the coaches especially, and his teammates as well. And Russ seems to understand like, look, I'm going to play hard. I'm going to do the things that work for me. The team is seemingly going to shape itself I think offensively from a spacing standpoint and then some of the principles that they're using to really allow Russ to attack and get downhill Mm -hmm. more we've seen that since the Golden State game and Frank Vogel spoke about like offensive focus practices and film sessions where I honestly think that's the focus of that stuff it's not like hey what can we do to better help LeBron so Russ here Pete I think Russ is the guy that all right Can you bring that requisite level of energy and intensity to help sort of buoy the team in a way that's going to chart this path? I could not agree more with that idea. And that's something that, you know, Russ has 
Russ's seasons have go a certain way as well. And this is when you see that calendar of how they go, you know, the, when, when you see that meme that we've seen posted, this is the this is the greatest player of all time portion of the season that's yeah. supposed to supposed to happen. And we need to get to as much of that as possible. And I think that seeing Russ drive to the basket, but do so with more of a mind to pass or jump stop or so, for example, when Russ drives to the rim and stops and LeBron makes that circle cut behind, it's so difficult to defend because when someone's in the post, all of your eyes defensively are looking toward the basket. And even if you're peeking, trying to see man and ball, it's very difficult, very, it's very easy to lose somebody on, on a cut like that. But that style of offense, I really think that that is the springboard in which we can get the best out of the team without asking LeBron to have the maniacal type of performance that we're worried will endanger him health-wise. And so that idea of Russ as a table setter with LeBron playing the role of the elite scorer, I actually think poses some interesting questions in terms of lineups going forward. And because one of the things that like that you pointed out, for example, is that Russ Dwight Howard pick and roll is not a good one. You have to be able to run with Russ. This is something that's really fundamental. There are two things. Russ plays at a certain pace where you can get a lot of very easy shots if you just run the floor. Secondly, a fundamental basketball truth that I think we've seen enough of the Russ LeBron AD trio to to where I have concerns about it in general is that I don't think in 2022 you can be an effective offense if you have two bad shooters on the floor. And if you have Russell Westbrook as one of them, you already have one. But Anthony Davis has been a bad shooter all season too. And when he was out, we were actually better on offense. Oddly, and I think in part it's not because Anthony Davis is a bad offensive player or or anything like that, but it's in part those lineups where you have two bad shooters on the floor just defensively allows you to do some things. And then we've got Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson. We've got a lot of guys that Avery that defense- Bradley, and I mean none of these guys are necessarily well THT, but if you're sub league average or even league well, league average, you're not a good shooter. No. By definition, you're a, a league average shooter. And so defenses are going to treat you appropriately, right? 100%. And we've been we've been talking about this uh, quite a bit. But one of the things I've been most excited about with this team and that we've been just torturously climbing toward, and I think we're kind of in this position, is we fundamentally, I think we are a power small ball team, which means we're a small team that can't shoot. That's bad, right? <laughs> but we have a lot of ball handling and we have a lot of strong guys that can go through you. And so even in the Utah game, in in the Golden State game, having guys like Stanley Johnson, Austin Reeves, THT, Malik Monk, all of these guys can handle the ball. And in a spaced out five out type of style, we were second in offense during that stretch without AD. The problem was we were like 24th in defense. And so talk to me first about the offensive end of the floor and how we can kind of maximize this group before we get into, I think, the last segment, kind of that replacing AD on the defensive end. We've talked at length about what this team is good at offensively, right? And that idea of LeBron as the finisher is really the goal to get to 
now. It's it's where the team needs to skew more towards. So there's there's a reason why against the Warriors, LeBron, you know, moved past Kareem for all-time leading scorer for regular season and playoff combined. It's because the dude can score the hell out of the ball, even if that's not the idea of him fundamentally as a player. Isn't that incredible? Like, that's not even what he is, and dude's going to end up first all-time. So even though I just said that statement myself, let me push back against this (laughs) idea that, like, that he's not known for that. He's not known for that because he is one of the best all-around players ever. Right. It's like in the same way that I don't think of Kareem as a scorer. Yeah, the dude scored over 40,000 points. He's definitely a freaking scorer. Right. Right. But when you're also a six time MVP and you're a staple of the all defensive teams, if there were such a thing and you could get when you're Kareem six blocks in a game or if you're LeBron seven steals in a game and when your game is so well-rounded. Yeah. It's it's silly to say like, oh, and when the spectacularness of what you are as a player isn't defined by a single act. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why Kobe was a fantastic all around player, too. So was Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain led the league in assists one season and he was a monster defensively. But we think of him as a scorer because he had these spectacular otherworldly scoring feats that skew your brain towards the idea of this is what this guy was good at. The same as Kobe Bryant, right? Like, oh, an 81-point game, that's the thing that goes up on the marquee. Like, that's what this guy is known for. Meanwhile, remember that 2001 playoff run, and it's like, yeah, this dude was having 45 and 17 rebound nights, mm-hmm. right? He, he while taking the, on the best offensive perimeter yeah, player. Yes, yeah. while playing all deep, like, Defensive player of the year level perimeter defense, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and so we often don't give guys credit for what they're actually good at all of the time because our mind gravitates towards this idea of what we envision them as a player. And so rant over around that. When we talk about LeBron, the finisher, though, like, yeah, he's going to need to score more. And that string that he had of like 30 point games where it's just like, oh, yeah, see, look, he could just get 30 seemingly whenever he wants that's going to need to come back that comes with costs though pete and it comes with defensive costs and so let's go to break here because when you're asking lebron to score he's going to take things off of the table from an effort perspective and that means the rest of the guys are going to have to pick up the slack for him even more so talk to me here pete about defense and losing anthony davis And I have concerns that there's enough on the roster personally at this point. We don't got to go down that road too much, but they need to find defensive guys. And I'm looking up and down the roster and I don't necessarily see it. So what's the plan? So there's not enough on the roster. Let's put that up front. And the goal to me in terms of what are we trying to accomplish with between now and the end of the season is getting to that seventh or eighth slot so that we can get into that game, right? Meaning that if we can win that game, then we've get the Warriors in the first round. I'd much rather have the Warriors than Phoenix. Either series would be really tough. I don't really see a path against this Suns team based on our current roster versus whereas with Golden State, I think that 
they're much more vulnerable to us going through them. And I think that what we do defensively is more geared toward stopping them. Not saying we would win a series, but I think we'd have a better shot. And so getting that either that seventh or eighth seed is crucial because if you're in that nine, 10 spot, you can only get the eighth seed. You have to win two games to be able to get there. And so it becomes a question of, can we play better basketball than we have in basically these similar circumstances of Russ plus either LeBron or AD for the rest of the season? And I think we can. And the biggest place to do that is on the defensive end. But then it's a matter of what did we learn during the last time that we had Anthony Davis out? LeBron started at the five for a good portion of that. And I think that that should continue. The problem during that period of time, in my opinion, was that we were small at nearly every position except for the point guard spot with Russ. We had Malik Monk next to Avery Bradley, next to Stanley Johnson, next to LeBron James at the five. Malik's small for his position. Avery's small for his position at that three spot. And Stanley Johnson is small for his position at that four spot, at least in terms of strength. And that's something where... Mike kind of hit on something yesterday where where he was talking about that my basketball life and journey is very I very much have a heart for small ball and because that's you know those are the teams that I coach we were always smaller than the teams across from us and one of the things I learned is that you got to be able to prevent teams from going through you and when we're that small at every position if teams are going through you that means LeBron does have to rotate over One of the things that we've done less with the smaller groups is put two on the ball or go into our drop coverages. But we do have that look, and we did show it against Donovan Mitchell the other day. So defensively, to me, this is much more about the lineups that you play than anything. I really think we need a 2-3 zone look, and we'll get into kind of the the lineup discrepancies. But a couple of things are kind of coalescing for me is I think Russ's minutes – actually need to be matched up with LeBron's minutes as much as possible. The inclination and what we've done for most of the season has been you need to have either one of them on the floor at the same time. But one of the twists and one of the adjustments that I've really liked that Vogel made was there were some groups where it was all the young kids. Yes. And it was THT and Austin and you Malik. know Mello was Malik was in that group. Stanley was in that group. Mello would play with them too a bit, right? What I ultimately think we need to have are these two lineups where our best lineup is one where LeBron is more calibrated toward being a scorer and Russell Westbrook is the player that sets him and everybody else up. I think that's the way that you get the best version of Russell Westbrook is Russ is the point guard, LeBron is the scorer. Obviously, that can change from one possession to another. But you know who has – but with the bench group, you know who actually does have pretty good pick-and-roll chemistry with Dwight is THT. They get a lot of good shots out of their ball screen action. And so I see that Russ and LeBron group on one end. And then with the bench groups, having, I think it's really important to have size on the floor without LeBron. So Dwight needs to play with those groups and then have our better perimeter defenders on the floor with that group as well. So that means THT, Austin, Stanley, those types of guys. I think that to answer your question about Uh, How do you resolve the defense? I think that's the closest you can come while certainly acknowledging that all roads lead to certain flaws. Yeah, I also think, too, that they are going to need to explore who actually starts games, (laughs) right? Yeah, let's start there. Because you talked about playing small and the Bradley Monk Russ trio next to Stanley. Like, I don't think you can start those three guys like. I actually think that you can only start one of Bradley or Stanley. Mm -hmm. 
in general. I think for offensive purposes, I think that that's basically true. Less true when you're playing like small ball lineups, but then you can't start Monk. You can only start two of the three then of Stanley, Avery, and Monk. I don't think you can start Avery Bradley. Big picture. I actually wonder if you actually need to go bigger and play Ariza or like one of the other forwards in order to allow Stanley to defend the other team's best perimeter guy, right? And it's a very similar formula to what the Lakers used against the Jazz, right? So they put against the Jazz, Stanley guarded Donovan Mitchell and Russ guarded Bogdanovich, who was basically the next non-point of attack offensive threat, right? And is the bigger and is the bigger dude. And they put Monk on Conley. And Monk survived against Conley. Conley didn't have a particularly impactful night. I don't think that was because of Malik Monk's defense or anything like that. Conley is older now and he just doesn't have it every single night. But the Lakers were also switching. They were doing more things effectively within the pick and roll. And AD, especially being AD in the first half, I thought was very good at shutting off the water of the Jazz's pick and roll attack. But if it were me, look, I'm not claiming Arita as some bastion of like defensive glory for this Lakers team, but I think lineup balance is super important. And the balance within five-man groupings is, is super important. And... For the starting group, they need more of that. And I feel like they've skewed too small, just just like you said earlier. Yeah, I think that you have a fundamental problem lineup-wise on offense with the starters if you go in one direction and a fundamental problem on defense if you go in another direction. The offensive one is if you go too big, then you are – you're compounding your existing shooting and spacing problem that we've been talking about all year. So for example, there's a version of this. Lord knows, I think that this would be Frank Vogel's preferred one where Avery Bradley is the two and Stanley Johnson is the three and say Trevor Reza is the four and it's LeBron at the five. So you're bigger, right? But you've sacrificed a certain amount of shooting where it's going to be hard to score like the drive and kicks from Russell Westbrook to Avery Bradley or Stanley Johnson. It, like the defense is fine with that. They're going to live with them shooting a certain number of shots, certain number of open threes. They're going to play the percentages on that and rightfully so. But if you go in the other direction where you do emphasize shooting and it's Malik Monk at the two, then all of a sudden you're so small defensively at every position that you've cr created that fundamental defensive issue. And this is why I'm an advocate of Carmelo Anthony starting right now and Ariza playing off of the bench next to Dwight. I think the starting group, I think you can put together a starting group where with Mello, that's to me the one through line of you are bigger, right? But you still have a shooter on the floor. First off, let me start. Let me ask you this. Do you think you need to have either Malik or Mello in the starting lineup? I, I'm of the thought that you need to have at least one flamethrower on the floor if, alongside LeBron and Russ. The shooting definitely helps. And so one of those guys on the floor with them is super useful. And so I would skew towards yes. Okay. And so 
First off, what do you think about Melo has not started this year? I think he started one or two games when we were at our most injured. Mike has brought up the idea that that's not maybe not his preferred yeah. thing to do. Like, I don't know, man. I'm seeing Ariza. Are you seeing some of these threes, some yeah, of these yeah, free yes, throws, man? Yes, you know? yes, yes. No, and this is why I think it's a roster problem more than it is like, oh, like, let's go in this other direction and start Melo because I think the implication is that Melo is comfortable with his bench role. He is comfortable going up against second unit defenses, right? And he is comfortable being more of a focal point of the offense. And I think that all of that skews towards his success, right? Mm -hmm. And I think helps prop up bench units that do not necessarily have the offense. And this is why I'm like, you know, the Lakers need another forward or they need another big man. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, Very if, much so. if they had a center, it was reported the other day that Tristan Thompson, for example, he's getting bought out from the Pacers and he is going to Rick Carlisle said this in a postgame press conference that I don't care about breaking this news. I think it's important to tell the truth. Tristan Thompson is going to go play for the Chicago Bulls. Right. And it's sort of like, oh, well, I've never actually seen a head coach say that we're buying out this player and that he's going to go play for this new team. You know, watch out. Well, Rick Carlisle's coming for your title here. But if they had a player like Tristan Thompson, I'm not saying if they had Tristan Thompson, but if they had a player like Trist, Tristan Thompson, Tristan Thompson is a backup in this league now, but mm -hmm. he's a capable player and he could give you 15 to 18 minutes a night of viable mm -hmm. big man play. Like for all the like, let's start LeBron James, right? And I would probably still start LeBron James if the Lakers had Tristan Thompson. But you mean at the five? Yeah. yeah, but if they had Tristan Thompson, I would at least consider starting Tristan Thompson. And I would mm -hmm. say like, okay, now is that going to be a good offensive lineup if you start Tristan Thompson, LeBron James, and Stanley Johnson? Probably not. But that, that also makes starting Stanley less important. And yes. he's he, like, he's more appropriate off the bench. And that's uh, the forward position. Like I've, I've advocated for Stanley in part because he's like decent, but ideally he is a, a bench player. He's like your ninth or 10th guy. Exactly. And so you could then, you could then probably start Avery Bradley. And instead of Malik Monk, you could maybe start Austin Reeves. Right. So you have more lineup flexibility based off the fact that you have more size and size that can actually play. And this is why I think that it's a lineup, that it's a personnel issue more than it is anything else. Because right now, what you're trying to do is say, well, you know what would work here? Let's start Carmelo Anthony. And that would work. It would be helpful, right? But then maybe you impact player comfort level. Maybe you then remove something from the bench that is useful. Sure. And this is the alchemy of actually coaching a team full of human beings rather than coaching skill sets that fit on a court from a schematic deployment level. And uh, that's absolutely the case. That said, I think the rest of the season, we need to have basically playoff game plans. I think everything's a playoff game yeah. from here on out. And what that means is for... For all of the, you know, conversation that we've had about switching versus dropping and schemes and lineups. And one thing that Vogel's always done that definitely has a benefit in come playoff time is build toward longer term goals. And what that means is during the regular season, yeah, maybe it would be better if we switched against this team for this night. But over the course of the season, we need to get a certain number of reps. 
running our defense and the scheme that we'd prefer to run in order to be good enough at it where it will really bear fruit come playoff time. What I'm saying is that part of the season's done now. We're in the ninth spot. We have to win as many of the games between now and the end of the season as possible to where all of the things, including player comfort, like, do we want to win? And this is part of the, is it worth it? What path do we take? Like, if we want to get the best that we can out of this season, it will require a certain amount of discomfort. It will require even a certain amount of health decisions that are like, no, we got to push through this injury that's bothering me rather than resting tonight. And so that calculation, I think, is fundamental to where we go going forward. But I'm right there with you, D, that it's ultimately a personnel issue. And before we play our next game, I think we need to sign a front court player. So the Lakers have a lot to consider, both on the court and off of it, and I'm glad everybody gets a long rest. Uh, Everybody enjoy their weekend. We will be back on Monday, maybe talk a little about the All-Star game, and then talk more about these last 25 games, which I'm actually excited about because I do think that it's kind of an extended playoffs for us, and we're going to learn a lot about the team, and I think there's a, a lot of great opportunity to build. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the a lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.